0: All right, I'd love to call us back together here, friends. And as we continue to worship this morning and we encounter our teaching text, we'll begin, uh, we'll sing this brief refrain to help center us.
1: This morning comes from Philippians 2, verses 5 through 11, and it's found on page 1085 of your Shed Bible. In your relationships with one another, have the same attitude of mind Christ Jesus had, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather... In heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The word of the Lord.
0: Here's my heart, Lord. Well, good morning, everyone. It is so good to be back here with you at uh, Mars. Um, You know, you guys look pretty nice without a mask on. For the last number of times I've been with you, it's everybody's masked. You should try speaking to an audience when everybody's masked. You see no facial anything. It's really great. I'd forgotten what the bottom half of Troy's face looked like. He really has a pretty nice face. Just saying, chin everything. It's good. It's all good. Anyway, it's good to be with you, and it's wonderful to see that so many of you are making your way back into being in church in residence. It's such a difference. Do you agree with me? I know. Are you tired of sitting on the couch looking at a Zoom, of anything Zoom? I I feel like I'm going to have a heart attack next time somebody at the seminary says to me, let's have a meeting. Oh, and we're going to use Zoom. I just want to reach through the screen. No, no Zoom, no Zoom, we can't do this. But, so there it is. It helped us through a difficult time. This morning what I would like to do is I'd like to talk to you about the idea of epics, okay? What is an epic? Today, this notion has completely been lost on us in the modern world. Um, somebody puts out a brand new movie and they say, oh, this is going to be a brand new epic for 2022. And you're like, what, how can it be an epic? It's not even been tested for hundred years yet. We do this kind of thing, music releases, the whole deal. That's not the idea of an epic. An epic is a life-defining story that is tested generation to generation it captures your imagination it is compelling it is engrossing and you become a character in its world so when you really tr- when you read a true epic, it unlocks who you really are and it tells you something on what you may want to be. Epics give you a profound explanation of the world and what your role is supposed to be in it. Now, here's a tip if you want to know that you've defined some epics for yourself. These are books that you've gone back to and you've read multiple times. These are movies that you have watched at least four times. (laughs) Because somehow, well something is pulling you into the story itself. I brought with me a couple of things that really have become epic type narratives for myself. This is a book that I find that most of my friends have not heard of, no matter. This is Wallace Stegner's Crossing to Safety. I read this book every three years, probably, for the last 25 years. Is that crazy or what? Wallace Stegner is a very famous author at the University of Wisconsin. He ended up at Stanford, but no matter. This is a story about two couples who meet together in a PhD program at the University of Wisconsin, and then you follow their careers. One couple, their life basically ends up on the rocks. And the second couple ends up with a flourishing life filled with a community. And you read this through, since my career ended up going into academics, you read this through and you go, which one am I going to be? (laughs) It's an amazing book. Everyone who's going into teaching needs to read that book. Oh, here's the other one I brought along with me. This is my beautiful, expensive, hardback copy of Lord of the Rings. (laughs) Oh yes, let's give it up for Lord of the Rings. Now, I'm just saying, those of you who have only seen the movies, so sad I mean really that is like reading the Bible as I don't know in cartoon form or something but inside of these three volumes there are character studies that are so profound that you come away wondering are you corruptible do you have the capacity for real heroism would you sacrifice yourself for something great you know what I mean Uh, During COVID, one of my goals was simply to read this thing all over again. So I've gone through it three times, I think, but I just finished last year again. I feel like I've taken vitamins or something. So epics are life-defining stories. They move from generation to generation, and the way people talk about epics is different. They bring them up and set them right next to the communion items. That could be problematic. Here is an epic that has really moved through American history, Pilgrim's Progress. Now, you don't have to work your way through the 17th century edition of Pilgrim's Progress. There's actually a modern translation of it now, which is so great. I'm not smart enough to figure out all that 1600 stuff. Why, this is a book, Pilgrim's Progress. When pioneers came across the United States, they had two books, almost all of them had two books inside of their wagon, the King James Bible, and Pilgrim's Progress. And it makes you wonder, why has this book been translated into 120 languages? That's what I mean by an epic. In other words, it is moving through time and people are saying to themselves, this has really, really changed the way I think about everything. So when you look at the epics, which are celebrated inside of any country, inside of any culture, you can actually learn a lot about them. If you ask someone, well, what is the movie you watched five times? It will really tell you a lot about that person. It will. So therefore, when someone looks at America, I'm sure they're going to eventually come up with an analysis of why Americans are obsessed with Westerns. From the 1950s to the 1980s or 90s this was the genre of movie making that defined America and what does that mean? Epics are not a new thing at all. Epics were all over the ancient world. Let me give you some examples. These were stories that lasted for 1,000 years and anyone who went to school knew these stories. There is Hercules, son of Zeus, the strongest man on earth doing 12 impossible tasks. He's the first superhero, really. You want to get into the Avengers? Go back to Hercules. That's what every child wanted to read. But what were the 12 tasks? They're the 12 tasks that every human adult must master to fulfill themselves. Whoa. There's Helen of Troy, the daughter of Zeus, the most beautiful woman in the world, the face that could launch a thousand ships, kidnapped by the Trojans, and an entire army rescues her. I like that one. We can make good movies out of that one. There is Homer's Odyssey. There is the Iliad. What is the story of the Greek and Trojan Wars, and what does it mean to be an aging man? who has lost, as a friend of mine said, who no longer has a bear to kill. No longer has a risk to take. What does that mean? Hmm. These are stories that shaped people for generations in the Greek and Roman worlds. Stories of heroism and sacrifice. People used these stories sometimes to entertain, but they also wanted to explain who they were in history. So my question to you, and you know this is coming, do you possess an epic? Do you have a story that really does define who you are, that explains what the world is like, and explains to you what the thing is you want to accomplish inside of your life? What epic shapes you? Because I'll tell you the truth, these three epics over here, they have shaped me they have shaped me. I want to be like that couple and Wallace Stegner is crossing to safety. I want to cross to safety. I want to end my life celebrated by many friends and feeling as if I did accomplish something and not simply chase vanity. That's Stegner. There are a lot of recent epics, and people today are always sort of asking themselves, okay, um, what are the epics that really do shape us today? What are the real ones? Let your imagination wander. What are the stories, the timeless stories, that fire up people's imaginations just in the last centuries? Well, surely Don Quixote, chasing windmills. Don Quixote, that's a really famous one by Cervantes, 17th century. Pilgrim's Progress became famous because really it was the story about how someone leaves the city of destruction and ends up at the celestial city. How is it that you engineer your life so you end up departing these terrible destructive places that you have always lived and make your way to a place of flourishing with God? That's Pilgrim's Progress. And along the way, what kind of people are you going to meet? I guarantee you that all of the characters that are inside of this book, you have met in Granville. (laughs) Some of them are scary. (laughs) Some of them are nothing but temptation. Some of them will encourage you and carry your load. That book contains every character you have known inside of your life. Of course, there's Shakespeare. I've got to mention Romeo and Juliet and Hamlet and power and love and how that works and Moby Dick and all of this work and obsession about some big fish. Are you chasing a big fish? That's Moby Dick. For us today, stories have moved to film. And so therefore people are asking themselves what are the films that really are epic? I asked a southerner this one time. Now we have, you know, a person that came from Mississippi and they said to me Gone with the Wind. Seriously? I fall asleep every time halfway through Gone with the Wind. But other people say to me Star Wars. Is that R2-D2? What is that? (laughs) Star Wars. The epic struggle between light and darkness. Amen? Yeah. And so, therefore, my grandchildren are now watching them. They love them. I can't believe how the earliest ones look so cheesy. But nevertheless, it is the epic story. Here's another. The Chronicles of Narnia. Right? Is it good? Yeah, you guys know this. See all of this. This is it. This has real explanatory power for children. But here's a hot tip. Lewis was actually writing this for adults. I reread all of them. You can read them through in a week. And I read them through and I said to myself, my gosh, I didn't realize that. This wasn't for our children. All of these characters are for me. So these stories that we acquire, they they become a part of our soul. So choose wisely. It's just like food. You become what you eat. And I eat Stegner because I want to make sure that my life goes on the right course. Now, when you look inside of the Old Testament, inside of Judaism, there is one life-defining epic inside of Judaism inside of the Old Testament. There's just one. It is retold from year to year. It is memorized by children. And if you understand it, you will know a lot about Judaism and the modern state of Israel even. It is the story of the Exodus. It comes to us in four steps, very simple steps. And this is the four-step narrative that shapes millions of people. Step one, We escape from our enemies with God's help, Pharaoh and Egypt. Number two, we survive in the desert thanks to God's patience. Yes, yes, we survive. We will survive. Step three, the powerful guidance of God and his covenant will be with us. We have been given a special relationship with God, and therefore, we know we have purpose and security in life. Step four, God will bring us to the land of milk and honey, the promised land. There are good things waiting for us on the other side of our testing. Struggle, endurance, the company of God, the land of milk and honey. That is the epic outline of the Exodus, and for many people, they say, that is the story of my life as well, because I'll tell you what, my world is surrounded by enemies. I have survived through all of this. God has protected and guided me, and he has brought me to a good place. Do you hear the epic? That's the rhythm of it, and if you drink that in, it begins to shape the way you view your world, just as it does in Judaism. Well, you know where this is leading, because I want to know what is the epic story of Jesus? What is the story? What is my Christian epic? And the question is, have I owned it? Have I taken it in as a Jew takes in the Exodus? This epic was memorized and sung by the followers of Jesus, and we even have portions of that singing inside of our New Testament. You just heard us read from Philippians chapter 2, 5 through 11. Let's look at it again up on the screen. Paul is talking to a church in Philippi that is having a lot of trouble. There's a lot of conflict. I'm so glad we don't have churches like that in America today. So many struggles. And he says, look, in your relationships with one another, have this mindset of Jesus Christ. Oh, what is Christ's mindset? Remember, he was in the very nature of God. He did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, but rather he made himself nothing. Wait, wait, wait. So in other words, he had this high and lofty place. He let go of it all. He descended to a place. What is, where does he go? He makes himself nothing. He takes on the form of a slave. He's made in human likeness, found in the appearance as man. He humbles himself, and he's obedient to death, even the cross. Therefore, God highly exalted him. Do you see the swing of a pendulum there? This is a remarkable thing which is embedded here in our epic as Christians. Philippians 2, 5 through 11, which we read, is likely, we think, a stanza, a verse from a hymn sung by the early Christians, because each of them wanted to take this in. They wanted to know it. They wanted to memorize it. So, what are the three steps? Let me just review them really quickly. First, therefore, Jesus enters the stage as the glorious Son of God. That's who he is. He is not just a prophet or a miracle worker. He's more. His popularity swells with every year. People travel distances to see him. He can gather thousands of people together on a hillside in Galilee. But here is the secret. He is not an ordinary person. He's not. His origins are in heaven. He is the son of God. And then and then Jesus shocks everyone with a verse that must have rung through their lives, Mark 10:45. For the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. That is the first time Jesus gives a hint of what he sees as the self-defining mission of his life. The meaning of life is in descent. Only God gives assent. You hear it? So therefore, here we have this remarkable story from Jesus. Our epic begins with this great and glorious Lord who then walks to Jerusalem facing his doom, his doom voluntarily for you and for me. Oh, I know on Palm Sunday he gets to Jerusalem and everybody is cheering for him. I get that. But you know it only takes a couple of days before everything goes south. And suddenly Jesus is facing those who want to kill him. This is stunning. It's unexpected. My hero empties himself of power and becomes a servant. He is arrested. He's imprisoned. He suffers the death on the cross. And in his final moments with his followers, he gathers them together in the upper room, and he tells them this in Luke 22. He takes a cup He gives thanks and he says, take this and divide it among you, for I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until I do so in the kingdom of God. In other words, I am going to die. He took bread, gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you my goodness, my hero who started up here now has descended to such an incredible lowly place. Now he's at a meal leaving for us a memorial saying, I am going to die. That's the bottom of my ark. Step three, Jesus is rescued from the grave by God. The tomb cannot contain him. He erupts from his prison and he returns to the father he begins in glory, he descends to the cross, and he rises to glory again on Easter Sunday. That is the epic story that we embrace as believers. Now, here's the interesting thing when it comes to epic stories. That outline that I just gave to you, that swing of that pendulum, there is nothing like it in the ancient world. Nothing. Is the meaning of life to be found in descent? Is the meaning of life to be found in sacrifice, in loss, in service, and in humility? Are you kidding me? This is not Hercules killing the nine headed monster Hydra. This is not Luke Skywalker taking out Darth Vader's Death Star. Mm-mm. This story contradicts every Roman and modern idea of heroism. It's unique. By the way, this idea of descent of the hero, this idea of humility, the Romans despised it. They despised ideas like this. Every child, when they went to school, they had to study something called the, uh, the Delphic Canons from Delphi, Southern Greece. There was a catalog of wise sayings given by the great sages of Greece and every child had to memorize these things. There were 147 of them, 147 truths that you need to know as an adult, the Delphi Canons. In 147 instructions to growing young people, there is not a single reference to humility. That's amazing, not a single reference. Um, The great Caesar Augustus, when he wrote his own story about himself, he wanted to show what a great leader actually looked like. And so what he does is he organizes his life in 35 chapters, okay? And they are all chapters about his greatness. (laughs) One chapter outlines all of my public awards, all of my building projects, all of my military victories, all of the people who think I'm fantastic, it's crazy making. Because Augustus believed that really a great person never descends. A great person takes off like a rocket and leaves others behind. In fact, they had a word for this. In Greek it's called philotimia. Philo phylo. it means the love of honor. You pursue honor by maintaining your glory but never by giving it away. This idea is just crazy to the Romans. If Jesus were measured by Roman standards of heroism and leadership, he would get a big fat zero. No one descends. So the early followers of Jesus launched an idea that came directly from Jesus. Heroic sacrifice. Take that down. Heroic descent heroic sacrifice, costly service, living your life in the shadow of the cross, or as some have said, living a cruciform life. That is unheard of in the ancient world. You choose to live in the shadow of the cross? This, this is Aslan walking to the stone table, amen? That's what we have. This is Frodo bearing the ring at great cost to Mordor. Amen? This idea that the hero goes down. I mean, I live in a world, you live in a world that is constantly telling us to compete and ascend. Jesus is talking to us about descending. If my life is all about climbing a ladder, you're not gonna find Jesus at the top. You're gonna pass him as he's going down. Lent and Holy Week for us is an invitation to rehearse the epic story of Jesus. On Palm Sunday, he is celebrated in glory. He's betrayed and crucified. And then on Easter, he ascends. The glory of Easter is linked to the darkness of sacrifice, and if we don't understand the cross, we will never understand Easter. We can't. It's impossible. So therefore in Philippians Paul says, "Have this mind among you. Take this in. Just like I've taken these into my head, take this in too. How can you descend? How can you descend? How can we sacrifice?" How can we pull on the cloak of humility? What ring do we bear to Mordor? How can you do that? One of the uh, things I used to do uh, before I came to Calvin Seminary, I was at Wheaton College in Chicago. Maybe you've heard of Wheaton College. Um, Um... we had an international program where our students, about 40 students every summer, would go off on an internship in uh, incredible places in the world, uh, usually very poor places, and they wanted to do practice serving in really just amazing. So I was, I was on the committee that helped organize all of that, and I had one guy that I liked a lot, and it, part of the program was the student goes out, you mentor the student for a while, they go out to this place, and then the faculty member has to go and meet them there. <laughs> So it was awesome. I got to go to about 16 crazy countries, exotic places far away. So one guy that I knew, a guy named Christian Williams, he was in pre-med. He's now a doctor, uh, a surgeon, I think, and he decided he wanted to go to India. And so the, the group picked for him New Delhi, India, and went to the poorest place ever. The leader of the program said he's been all over the world And Delhi, India, in this particular slum is the worst place he's ever seen. There's no category for it. So Christian went to Delhi, to the slum, to work with children who had AIDS. And I flew out to meet him. (laughs) So I spent about 10 days with him out there, and it was just a remarkable time. I could actually talk with you about it for a long time. Here is a guy who's a genius, who's pre-med, He went to one of the best medical schools ever, and this is what he wanted to do with his life. Do you see dissent? So anyway, um, when I was there, I met a couple that were just really just a remarkable Indian couple. Um, They were leading the clinic. Um, She was probably in her early 40s. They were just genius. They were so great. They were physicians working with these children. And so, we went to their apartment and just outside the door, I asked her, what kind of diseases are outside the door? Just wondering. She said, oh, there's a lot of good stuff, typhus and cholera." Did you get your shots? <laughs> I said, yep, all 10 of them. And I said, what called you to this? Where are you from? It was an amazing. Here I am in this, this, this slum that I can't even describe. And I I did rounds with them in some of the people's homes that were dying. All of the patients were dying. Everybody was dying and there was mud and muck and sewage on the streets. And she says to me, oh, I'm from Mumbai. It's really. And now you have to know, Mumbai is really an up and coming. This is one of these cities that you want to be from in India. It's like saying you're from Chicago or New York or something like that, I'm from Mumbai. And I went to medical school there and I said, well, Mumbai? You didn't stay there? What what are you doing? And she says to me, I'll never forget it, over dinner, she says to me, we Christians in India believe that Christ calls us to descend and care for the poor. Isn't that true in America? I said, can you pass the food, please? (laughs) Do you hear it, though? Here she began in Mumbai. She goes all the way down to Delhi, and there she is in the slums. And I'm saying to myself, this is the epic story of Christ. He begins in glory, descends to the cross, and then he's glorified by the Father. So at school, at work, wherever you are, ask yourself, what does a successful life look like? John Bunyan will tell you. Stegner will. Vulcan will, but so will Jesus. What does a successful life look like? The size of your estate? The size of your house? How many kids and grandkids? I know some people now, because of my age, who seem to be keeping score by counting their grandchildren. Oh, I have 14. And they all live right here in West Michigan. How many do you have? How do you measure success? This coming week, Holy Week, Jesus wants to turn our lives upside down. The cross comes before glory. Sacrifice comes before victory. That is the epic of Jesus. Let's pray. Lord God, we ask that you would help us to embrace courageously our own descent. Lord Jesus Christ, we pray that you would help us to understand the cross, not simply as your assignment, but ours. We pray in Christ's
1: name. And everyone said, amen.